Global Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA.net. U.S. stocks are following crude oil prices lower, pairing the strongest weekly gains this year, with investors reassessing the path for interest rates after data showed stirring signs of inflation. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Dow Jones Industrial Average down 6 tenths percent or 95 points to 16,314. S&P 500 down 6 tenths percent or 11 points to 1906. The Nasdaq's down 4 tenths percent or 15 points to 4471. 10-year Treasury down 3.30 seconds. The yield 1.75 percent. The yield on the two-year 0.74 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 3.2 percent or 97 cents to 29.80 a barrel. COMEX gold up two tenths percent or two dollars thirty cents to 12.28.80 an ounce. The euro a dollar 10.99. The yen 1.13. Nordstrom the worst performer in the S&P 500 this morning. It's down 10 percent. The largest U.S. luxury department store chain reporting holiday results that missed analyst estimates, and the company gave a weak earnings forecast. Deere and Company, the world's largest agricultural equipment maker, cut its fiscal full-year profit and sales forecast. Its shares are down 3.9%. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you very much. Uh, we're going to be speaking now with Reed Morrison. He's a principal uh, in the advisory group uh, for uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers in Houston covering the energy industry, and uh, he's the U.S. advisory energy sector leader. And Reed, um We've talked to a lot of people who say basically these days we have no idea where oil prices are going because they keep fooling us. We keep thinking we're in a bottom and, and we're not. Uh, that said, somebody has to make a decision in April when all the energy company bank loans come up for their quarterly review. Uh, and I think that the key question for everybody these days is how many companies are going to go out of business? How many companies are going to uh, be bought out? Uh, how big is the carnage going to be when these loans come due? It's an interesting dynamic because what you <clears throat> see a lot of times is a moment of truth between both the, the financial institutions and the operators. And a lot of times in this case, you'll see a new degree of flexibility come into the conversation where if the operator is willing to take a long term on that payment but pay more interest, the bank is looking at the situation of do we want to actually become an operator. And they've learned their lesson a lot of times that they don't want to be the operator. They just want to get a fair and safe return on that. So what we're seeing is a lot of redeterminations are triggering restructuring of those debt covenants, and that just kind of allows more time for the operator to get their house in order. Reed, let me ask you the question. And with PwC and with your history in energy and oil and gas, I think it's critical. My answer is I always go to the Houston Chronicle. They know a lot more than I know about the dynamics. In the Houston Chronicle today, Shell Oil wants to sublease 350,000 square feet of one shell plaza. Cushman and Wakefield is going to help them with the the wake. Um, you know, there's a lot of empty office space in Houston. Is this like Midland 20-something years ago, or is there something new this time? Is sub-industries adapt to the energy collapse? It's interesting you talk about Houston. If you talk to the commercial real estate folks, they'll tell you when oil prices are high, the west side of Houston, where the exploration companies, they do really well. When oil prices are low, the east side of town does really well, where the refinery and chemical plants are, and that's what you see. And what you're seeing a lot of times is these companies who had a portfolio of things that spread across the value chain, they're weathering the storm because they're able to monetize. 
but that <clears throat> those companies that have plays in different basins, they're having to reevaluate which ones they want to bet on long term, and that's causing some structural changes. When do the balance sheets clear? I mean, we've been on surveillance for the last, what, Mike, year and a half? Two yeah. years? Everybody said spring. Spring of uh, – what, what's the temperature today in Houston? It's like 85 uh, degrees, right? Yeah. You're killing me. Is spring here yet? I mean, are we going to start to see the goodwill that's bad will become no will? What we're looking at closely is the reserve replacement ratio and the demand cycle as well. We had historical demand growth last year in a stagnant co- economy. And the reserve replacement ratio was at an all-time low last year. And this year, you can look at the exploration companies. They're not going to be drilling new wells. And it's simply the matter of the inventory of wells that they can produce from are going to be depleted at a steady rate, and they're not bringing new wells online. So you look at that demand side, you look at that reserve replacement ratio, and those inflection points are on the horizon. And you look at the trading market, the futures prices of these oil contracts for 2017, 2018 are 30 to 50% above where they are today. So people see it coming. When? Is it December of this year? Is it July of next year? You know, that's the guess. Well, there's a question, though, that comes up when we talk about this. And to get to what you said earlier in the show, the cure for rising prices is rising prices. The feeling is the price goes up, the frackers just turn the taps on again. If it was only that easy. But the swing producer role that the shale players are going to have is legitimate. There's a significant number of wells that have been drilled but not completed, and also there's a significant amount of oil that's in storage these days. What that does for the overall economy is it flattens out that price spike that we may have had in the past because the only swing producers were the large national oil companies. So you actually, when we're talking to our clients, we're saying that the forward look isn't going to have that hockey stick effect, but it's going to be a more of a sawtooth effect, you know, with a slow walk up as opposed to the spikes. You have perfect preparation for this. You have a degree in psychology from Southwestern <laughs> University. What is the psychology of independent oil? I mean, I understand Exxon's a bank, et cetera, et cetera, and there's all the big companies we know. Mid-tier and small guys, what's their psychology now? They... They love to be in the growth mode, and this mode is where the hard work has to get done. There's at least 20% cost involved in the total life cycle of these wells that can still be leaned out, but that's nickels and dimes. And it's ironic, when oil was around $95 in 2014, we were talking to our clients, not saying we're going to predict the price, but pressure testing, are you ready for a $50 environment? And I can't tell how many of my clients that are friends that just told me, don't be dramatic, Reed, respect you too much, but now you're kind of upsetting us. Flash forward a year after that, price is now dropping fast, and they're able to actually pivot. Um, it's amazing to see how this industry can really buckle down. You look at 2009 when oil went to 38, they survived because they know how to rotate the business and get down to those nickels and dimes, and that's what they're doing right now. Well, not that you're doing market economics, but it's Friday. Do you at PwC have a call on oil? <laughs> no. <laughs> Did you ever? In other words, <laughs> has everybody gotten out of the business at this point of calling oil? <laughs> no, if I was that good, I would be sitting on a beach in the Caribbean. Well, I'm sure a lot of people would, if especially if you'd uh, figured a, a, a way to short it. Um, interesting point that you make here uh, in your note is uh, the contango market, um, suggesting uh, that traders know something about yeah. what's going to happen. Uh, but is it a question of uh, just thinking logically, or uh, do they actually have a clue as to where we're going to go? 
everyone has access to relatively the same data, and so it's a matter of which pattern or cycle do you want to put your money into. And there's really four main drivers to this whole thing, separate from the the government side of things and the socioeconomic things and the stability of the different regions of the world. And those four things are the financial markets, the demand side, operations, and then the rocks. And each one of us in this industry know that those four are the things to pay attention to, and you just have your own point of view around, is the U.S. dollar going to get stronger or weaker? And a lot of people in the industry know the stronger the U.S. dollar is, the more the price of oil gets traded down. It's those types of drivers that everyone is studying, and everyone has their own models to take a look at it. One final question quickly. Uh, Would you advise a young upstart to go into petroleum engineering? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? Why? It's a, it's a, a fascinating industry, and it's grossly underappreciated, but when you actually get into the industry and you see the goodness that the industry does for all different parts of our, our life, you, you, those of us in the industry, we take a lot of pride in the fact that there's a lot of things that happen in this world because there's a reliable and safe supply of energy, and to be one of the young upstarts who's learning their way through that, it's a great career to have. You get to learn a huge amount about the emerging technologies, and then you get to go home at night knowing that you actually made a positive contribution. Reed Morrison, thank you so much with PwC on energy. You know, Mike, I didn't get to the philosophical question a moment. Where do the Houston Astros go for spring training? I think it's already spring. I think in Arizona. They go to Arizona. I've never done that. Have you gone to the Cactus not, League? Not to the Cactus League. We should do that sometime. I, it says remote. I mean, why you? What do you think? Why you doesn't even know what baseball is? Yeah. I, <clears throat> the bouncy yeah, orange yeah, yeah. very good one. No, I am wrong. I, surveillance correction. The Houston Astros are in Kissimmee, Florida. Oh, they are Florida. in the uh, Grapefruit yeah, League. I would have guessed Arizona. And uh, I'm, uh, I, I have been to the Grapefruit League. I haven't been to the Astros. Yeah, well, there we go. Baseball it is exciting. Douglas Cass out with timely notes on pitching. Let's go down and do a live show with Doug Cass we and should. go to spring training. I think we should. Let's uh, message to Al from New Jersey. Happy, uh, happy Friday, Doug, and uh, everybody in uh, the Phoenix area and in all over Florida in the Cactus League. Pitchers and, the, and catchers. Uh, and the Grapefruit League. We need to say thank you to our team. They've done a great job in a very odd and strange week. Of course, we leave you with oil, 29.76 a barrel. Uh, down a dollar in change. It's worth watching into the afternoon. But within the clumsiness of the week, we had a killer Friday. Thanks to our team, particularly in this 9 o'clock hour. Uh, Reed Morrison, Scott Galloway joining us, and Dignan from J.P. Morgan on short notice. We really appreciate guests who particularly on short notice can drop everything to come to you, our global audience. Perspective. Just terrific. Uh, we are produced by YUN, our global technical director, Ken Fallio. It's Bloomberg Surveillance.